This morning, we are going to uh, continue in our forgiveness study. We're going to, we're, we've been looking at how to biblically completely forgive others. We've also been looking at how to biblically forgive ourselves. And, and I just, this is, this is truly not an ego thing, I, I hope. Uh, but how many of you have been challenged or encouraged by this study on forgiveness in your lives? Is that it's really just kind of challenging your, our hearts a little bit. So we've looked at completely forgiving others. We've looked at completely forgiving ourselves. And this morning, we're going to be moving into the topic of completely forgiving God by looking at who's to blame. So this morning, we're going to be talking about forgiving God. And now let me state up front, I am very well aware that God is perfect. He does not need, he does not stand in need to be forgiven for anything because he has done nothing wrong past, present, or future. But sometimes I think that us being offended, struggling with things that happen in our lives, we hold a little bit of an offense towards God for what's going on or for what has happened. What might be happening, or what we can see coming down the road. Maybe we didn't get what we wanted. Maybe we got what we didn't want. Maybe things are happening that we didn't desire, and the things that we did desire are not even anywhere close to happening. And I think that probably all of us have either been there, or we know someone who's been there, that really has an issue against God. If we're all really transparent and vulnerable, I think that we've all been at that place, that we've at least asked the question, why? Why would you allow this? Why would you let this happen? Why now? Why me? Why this? I take solace and I take comfort in knowing that when these moments hit in my life, and they do, they have, they do, I'm sure that they will because I've, I'm not perfect. Despite what my wife thinks, I'm not perfect. Yeah, y'all know better than that. But I take comfort in knowing that I'm not the only one who struggles with that. That I'm not the only one who deals with that. That I'm actually looking at a church full of folks right now who struggle with the same thing. And it's also very good to know that I can pick up this book and I can read about men and women in the past thousands of years ago who struggled with a similar thing. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Habakkuk. He is an Old Testament prophet. He's in the section that's called the Minor Prophets, not because he was any less important than the Major Prophets, but his letter was shorter. Um, there's a Bible in front of you there if you don't have one. I believe it's around page 929 in that. Uh, we'll have it on the screen also. Uh, if you use the, the Bible out of the back of the view, there'll be a little bit of a difference in the translation that's on the screen, but you'll kind of get the gist of it. But we're going to be reading from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 this morning. Verse 2 starts by saying, O Lord, 
How long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Pray with me this morning. Father, I just I want to pause briefly and, and pray this morning and ask that uh, as, as Billy prayed, I will pray now also that God, please use my voice uh, to articulate your word. Holy Spirit, communicate your truth through me. Remove as much of me as possible and just allow my voice uh, to carry your message, rightly divided. Father, I pray for those who are hearing this, whether it be right now, or if they're watching and listening at a later date, God, I just pray that you open our hearts, open our minds, and open our spirits to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Habakkuk, we don't know a lot about what was happening. We don't know exactly what was going on with this situation we know that this was an agrarian society. They depended solely upon agriculture uh, for not only their food, but also their economic system, their income, and, and their outflow, the imports, exports, things of that nature. So crops and their agriculture were incredibly important. It was the life of this society. And here we have, just coming right out of the gates, Habakkuk with some complaints, right? I mean, he is really, he's just kind of complaining here. And we see four of them in these two verses. And the first complaint that we see of Habakkuk is him complaining about unanswered prayers. In verse 2, we see that unanswered prayers. Anybody, anybody, ever pray? Okay, see, I got some hands already going up. Did I foreshadow the question? That, I mean, did, wow, okay. Have you ever had an unanswered prayer in your life that you really struggle with God not answering? Yeah, for those of you who are too shy to raise your hands, I'll just go ahead and raise them for you. I've got two examples of an unanswered prayer um, that I, I want to share with you. First, uh, let, let's go back to junior high, Ben. Okay, this, this was before it was even middle school. This is junior high, Ben. This was before uh, caller ID... This was before any of the fancy-smancy things that would tell you. You know, basically, we had to send carrier pigeons if we wanted to speak to one another. But it's, it was back in the day of the landline phone. And you could call somebody. You talk about living on the edge. They would have to answer the phone without seeing who's calling. <laughs> Took faith. Took a lot of faith to answer the phone back then. There was this, this one girl... Man, this one girl. I wanted to go with her so badly. And I prayed, God, if you'll just let her answer the phone and say yes, I'll never ask for anything ever again. Please. So I call... Somebody answers the phone. It's not her. And I do the smoothest thing I can do. 
panicked. Panicked. I don't know what to say. I panicked. God, 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 I prayed that she would answer the phone. Well, I call back. Young girl answers the phone. I'm thinking, yes. And I say, is this so-and-so? No, this is not. Stop calling for my younger sister. I swear if I catch you calling back, I will hunt you down. Okay. Hung up the phone. I was crushed. I was devastated. Unanswered prayer. But then on a little bit more of a series, and, and you know, I was not obligated to hold up my end of the deal of never asking for anything ever again. I'll just have you know that. <laughs> but on to a little bit more of a serious matter. I think that this is one of the biggest hang-ups that we as believers have. It's because we pray for something, and it doesn't happen. Or we pray for something, and it doesn't get answered. And that's one of the most crucial times in our relationship with God. Because it's easy to be told yes, isn't it? It's easy to be told, told yes. But your true amount of perseverance and character and faith in your relationship with God is really tested when the answer is no. Or there's no answer at all. That's when we're really tested. And I, I go back to just shy of junior high Ben. And, and a lot of you know, know my history, know my family story, and I'm, I'm not going to take a great deal of time to tell it, but I am going to tell some elements of it. Uh, my sister, who was about five years younger than I, was diagnosed with liver cancer at the age of six. At the age of six years old, she was diagnosed with liver cancer. For over the next year, she endured treatments, chemotherapy, radiation. She, she and my mom basically lived at the hospital down in Lexington, and my dad and I would make trips down there. And throughout this whole process, some of the most godly men and women that I knew at that point in my life were praying for my little sister to be healed. I mean, really, why not? I mean, I know that we all want that, right? For anyone who's sick, for anyone who's facing anything like that, but six years old? I mean, they were praying earnestly. They were praying fervently. There were special prayer meetings that were taking place over this year. And on Valentine's Day of 1990, I was pulled out of school and taken back to my house, and I was able to tell my sister I love you one last time before she passed at the age of seven. And I struggled with that for a very long time. And it's nothing of my own doing. It's nothing of my own power or my resilience. But eventually, I was able to move past that in my relationship with God because there were many moments of anger that I had. And I'm not saying that I'm 100% qualified to preach to you this message about forgiving God, but I do want to tell you, I, I know at least in part what it is to be asking that question, why? And standing in need of releasing God in my own heart. So I think the first criticism that we see here in verse 2 is when he said, how long 
shall I cry for help? I think we also see the second thing here in verse 2, where God looks away, where he's really worried about God looking away from the wrongs that's happening. When he says, or cry to you, I cry to you violence. I've prayed and you've not answered. I'm crying to you violence and you will not save. Do you see things that challenge you in our world today that you look at and you ask God sometimes? Maybe you don't verbally ask, but in your mind you wonder, God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? You see, those questions and those complaints and those issues that we have can become a stumbling block in our relationship with the Lord. But take courage, brothers and sisters, because you're not the only one. And you're not the first one. I think if we go ahead and we look at some other complaints, is I think in verse 3 we see where he has to endure injustice. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you, make, why do you idly look at wrong? Again, this kind of flows in that same vein of looking around. God, don't you see what's happening here? God, can't you see all of this evil that's taking place? Can't you see all of this darkness that's happening around us? God, why aren't you doing something? Why are you just looking idly? Why are you standing idly by just viewing this as it's happening? I thought that. We're September 11th, Patriots Day, right? We remember what happened September 11th, 2001. And sometimes, I know that we all thought this, at least in part, and some of us still struggle with this. God, why? Why that? Why that evil? Why that loss of life? Why? And that can become a stumbling block and something that trips us up in our walk with God. And I think that we see in the last part of verse 3, the fourth, th the fourth complaint is a tolerance of evil. You know, when we see that destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. Habakkuk had complaints. There were things that were happening that he was not happy with, and he had cried out to the Lord for God to do something about it. And from the tone of this, God had not done anything. From Habakkuk's viewpoint, anyhow. Because, I mean, here, we're, we're looking at this. These unanswered prayers. God's looking away. We're having to endure injustice while we're here. We, we, why are you tolerating evil? Because we know that God's all sovereign. He's all powerful. With the, He doesn't even have to snap his fingers. He just wills it to be done, and it can be done. God, you can take care of this. And see, I made a statement a couple weeks ago when I said that when you're dealing with forgiveness especially, if you're someone who has to have everything figured out, if everything has to make sense to you, if everything has to be able to be rationalized, if everything has to add up and make sense, this life of faith is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible, for you. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The wind, the Holy Spirit, will blow where it will. And God knows things that we don't know. He sees things from a different perspective. And while all of this stuff that we are actually seeing play out can cause us to doubt, can cause us to maybe complain a little bit, and, and even cause us to feel betrayed at certain points, 
our faith needs to kick in at that time and go, God, you're God, and I'm not. You're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, and I am not. But I also realize, and I'm rational enough in my own thoughts and realistic enough to, to know that these things are great to think, they're great to declare, but sometimes that doesn't make much of a difference. What about when his promises in your life never come to pass? And you don't have to answer this. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just I want to throw this question out there. How many of you, I bet that most of us in here, but how many of you this morning have truly felt betrayed by God? Now, I don't know if we're quite transparent and vulnerable enough to admit that, but I will tell you there have been times in my life that I have felt that God has betrayed me. And I have been angry. But thankfully, by God's mercy, which we'll cover some next week, we'll look at really deep into that, by His mercy and His grace, He did not respond to my anger with His anger. He responded to my anger with His love even more. I don't deserve that. That type of mercy, I don't deserve. And I'm not ashamed to stand up here and tell you that I've felt betrayed by God before because that's part of my testimony. That's part of what's gotten me to where I am today. But I have to understand that God showed mercy upon me when I lifted my fist in anger that he did not respond in like kind. That he looked upon me with compassion and mercy and said, I still love you. So I want us to look at, at a little bit of betrayal, or at least perceived betrayal by God. And there's a couple passages out of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, 8, Acts chapter 7, verse 5, and then Hebrews eleven thirty nine. Now, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to tell you about a few of these. We're not going to go, I am going to read Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 to you. But Hebrews eleven eight 8 gives the account of Abraham. You all remember Abraham, right? His father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons. And father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So it's just... You can't go through that. I don't care what type of syncopation and rhythm. You've got to swing your arms. So let's just praise the Lord. But he's talking about how Abraham, that his faith accounted him for righteousness, that Abraham went, responded to the call of God on his life, and went to a place, even though God didn't tell him where it was. God just said, go. Abraham's like, Where? I was like, don't worry about it. Just walk. Okay. And he went. Acts 7, 5 tells us this. Come a little crashing down a little bit. It said that Abraham never got to see his promised land. He never even set a foot length into the promise that God made in his life. Now I'm going to read Hebrews 11. 
For those of you who are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of faith, the hall of faith, so to speak, and there's great men and women of God from the Old Testament that's mentioned in here that by faith, by faith, Moses, Abraham, by faith, all of these men and women just did amazing things. And then we come upon verse 39, which says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Let me read that again. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Can you see where there would be opportunity for betrayal there? Like feeling betrayed by God. God, you promised me this. God, I've walked this out. I've been obedient. I've done what you've asked. I've listened to you. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've witnessed. I've done what you've asked me to do, God. Where's it at? At least that's where my mind goes. I don't know about you. But that's where I've been a couple times in my life. So, trust me, if Moses, if Ruth, if all of these great men and women of God had times where they would have wondered or felt betrayed or had the opportunity at least to, be, to feel that way, I can promise you, you and I are not going to be exempt from that. There's going to be things that happen to us, around us, with us, in our families, in the people we care about, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our finances, in our world, there's going to be things that happen to us that we're at least momentarily going to pause and go, God, where are you? You know, we see that all through the Psalms, right? David and all the other Psalms are just like, God, where are you? Where are you? So I'm not making a case that you need to feel betrayed by God in here this morning. So don't try to think that I'm talking you into that. What I'm doing is I'm actually giving voice to something that we don't ever talk about. Something that's really real in our hearts and our lives that we really struggle with more than what we would like to admit. We're just giving voice to it right now. So I'm not laying this foundation of that we need to feel betrayed by God, but I'm addressing a reality that is truth in our life, that there are moments that we feel betrayed by God. And that is a barrier. The enemy will use that as poison, as toxins in your system, in your relationship with God, that whenever God wants to pull you closer, the enemy will try to rehash all of these perceived betrayals in your life, and he wants you to stop at that barrier of betrayal in your life and that wall that keeps you from going any further in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope I'm talking to somebody in here this morning because I need to break through some walls in my life and in my heart and I need to let go of any perceived betrayal or any wrong that I think that God has done for me and I need to begin to be grateful and thankful for the things that he has done for me because there's nothing that destroys a wall stone by stone any quicker than thankfulness and being grateful to the king of kings and the lord of lords 
So how, what are some of these things that help us break through this wall of betrayal? We have to come to some places of understanding that we have to break through these. And the first thing that we need to do is when we begin to start looking at the blame and putting it on God and we see him as a betrayer in our hearts, we have to understand that God wants us to work through this betrayal. God wants us to get over this blame. God wants us to get over this wall and he wants us to press in, press through, break down and break through that barrier that's holding us back from him. Understand that God wants nothing more in your life right now. With whatever level of betrayal that you're dealing with in your heart towards him, he wants nothing more than you to break through that thing. The second way that we can break through into blame is we have to realize that with God wanting this, the reason that he wants you to burst through this thing so much is this. When we break through the wall of blame and the wall of looking at God and accusing him and feeling betrayed, then we open up an opportunity to open our relationship to a greater level of intimacy with him than ever before. That when we break through that wall, we can know God more closely, more intimately, more deeply, more passionately than we've ever known him before. And if your heart's crying in here this morning, God, I want to know you more, then there's going to most likely be some barriers of blame and betrayal that you're going to have to break through. Because God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God, and he doesn't just give you more of himself if you don't want it. If you're not willing to break through, if you're not willing to wrestle with the flesh, if you're not willing to set the blame and betrayal aside and say, God, I don't care what's happening right now, I just want you. When we break through that wall, it gives us the opportunity to know him more intimately than we've ever known him before. Okay, here's the third one. Get ready for it. Don't complain. Don't complain. You want to get over the blame? You want to get over the betrayal? Stop complaining. Stop murmuring about it. You know, okay, so, so let, me, let me say this. So, okay, I, I don't complain very often. I really don't murmur. Uh, so let me, let me put it in, in a different term. Thomas and I were talking about this a little bit earlier this week. Stop venting. You heard that one? Okay. I know none of us have used it in here, but you get with somebody, you know, that, that's close to you, whatever friend or who, whoever will listen, you know, warm body will react somehow. Like, I just need to vent for a second. It's a new word for complaining. Most of the time. Now, there are times that you do need to vent. I understand that. Don't complain about it. What if? What if? Complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. What if complaining is to the devil what worship is to God? Kind of gives you a different perspective on what we talk about, doesn't it? Don't complain about it. And lastly, walk 
in the current light. 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light that he has given you. Worry about that next step in front of you. Whatever light that God has given you, whatever you can see, walk in that. Focus on that. You're not going to figure out what's in the darkness. You can worry about it. You can think about it. You can, you can ponder on it. You can be consumed by it. You can't change it. Walk in the light as he is light. If it's just one step, take that step. And I promise you, I promise you, that God will provide more light for your next step. You see, so many times in my life, I've been guilty of not wanting to take the first step until the light's been exposed to the final step that I need to take. Like, I want to see the whole thing. Like, I know what you did with Abraham. Hard no, hard pass here, okay? I, I don't like that because I don't know where it's taking me. Walk in the light that God has given you. Whatever amount that is, whether great or small, remember, God is faithful. Amen? Has God failed any of you yet? There's not, if you're here, there's not been a situation that you haven't made it through. You've made it through every bad situation. Congratulations, you're batting a thousand. But God is faithful. Now, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how bad the situation may be, He is faithful and there is always light for you to step into. So I kind of want to circle back around as I close out this morning. I want to go back to Habakkuk. I want to go to chapter 3. Read verses 17 through 19, chapter 3. So what we read earlier out of Habakkuk, his four complaints, were the way that he began this letter, this record. What we're getting ready to read now is the way he closes it. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the, pro the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me, let me read that. Again, remember, agrarian society, very dependent upon agriculture, very dependent upon what the land will give them. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. The situation has not improved. The situation has not improved. Be very clear on that in your mind. They're still not in a good place. But then we come to verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Amen? Now listen, I gave you kind of like four steps there. This is your practical takeaway right here. 
This is the practical application. I, don't, I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that your situation is going to change. The turnaround's happening. The only difference between breakdown and breakthrough is one word, but I don't know about that. I don't know if your situation's going to get better. It may not. It may not. And it may. But I can't promise you that. But what, what I can tell you that just as Job, naked that I came into this world, naked shall I depart, but blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the same attitude that Habakkuk had right here, that no matter that all the fields, the crops, the livestock, everything was failing and wiped out and there was no hope to be seen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. So what do you do when the situation is bleak? Well, you rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to rejoice in Him. My joy is not found in the crops. My joy is not found in the fields. It's not found in the stables or in the stalls. My joy is in the salvation of my Lord. And then I'm going to recognize that no matter how bleak the situation is, though things shall fail, though the situation is bleak, though the skies are dark and all hope seems to be lost, my strength is in the Lord. Will you say that with me this morning? My strength is in the Lord. That's powerful, isn't it? I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up. Yet I will rejoice. I will find my joy in the Lord of my salvation. And my strength will be founded upon him. Pray with me again real quickly. Father, thank you for this word. God, let it challenge our hearts to know that, God, it's, you, you never stand in need of forgiveness. You're perfect. But God, sometimes in our hearts, our perception of what's happening gets so skewed and gets so clouded that we, we feel betrayed by you. When we don't see the things happening or when we do see certain things happening, God, just I pray that we would echo the words of Habakkuk, even in the worst of our times. God, I'll rejoice in you. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation, and I am going to depend on him and him alone for my strength. Father, let this sink deep into our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen.